I'm going to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. We started a journey a couple weeks ago into the great hall of faith. In the first week, in speaking of the great hall in Hebrews 11, prior to speaking of the great hall, we spent some time in what I call the foyer of faith, where we really try to comprehend what the great hall of faith is all about. And as you remember, if you recall that message, um, we see from Hebrews, the 10th chapter, which I have described as the foyer of faith, it's all about Jesus Christ, the object of your faith, the focus of your faith, the confidence that you have, the drawing near that you're able to do, the resisting of drawing back. And as he concludes that chapter, he says, in believing to the saving of the soul. The only way your soul is going to be saved, the only way your body is going to be saved, is if Christ did what he said he did, accomplished what he came to do, and sits on the right hand of the throne of, the God, of God. And we understand that as truth. That's the object of your faith. So as we go into the hall of faith, as we re-enter it, remember it's not about these great heroes of faith that are hanging there. On the, I picture them as hanging on the wall with lights, dim lights in the hall and uh, the, the lights accentuating the pictures of the people that we see as we go through there. That's how I picture it. It's not about the people. It's about the object of their faith. How were they able to do what they did? How were they able to see what they saw? It was because the object of their faith was Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to me, and this ought to be double encouragement for us, they didn't even know the name Jesus Christ. They didn't have His name. And yet they're listed in the hall of faith. Did you know that in the Old Testament... The word faith only occurs two times. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> now, in the New Testament, it, it occurs many, many times. Uh, I think the most occurrences, I believe, if I recall correctly, are found in the book of Matthew, where Jesus speaks of faith often. And it's interesting that about four times that Jesus speaks of faith in the book of Matthew, he's speaking of little faith. <laughs> I think that's amazing. He also speaks of great faith in Matthew two times in reference to a couple people that I've spoken to you about before. But it's interesting to me that the most times, the most recurring times that he speaks of faith, he's talking about, oh, ye of little faith. I can really identify with that. I don't know if you can, because that's the way I feel. So as we enter into the great hall, once again, remember that it's not about who's hanging on the wall. It's about the object of who they believed in. So it's very important for us to comprehend that. And it's also very important I believe, and timely for this day and time. How do we navigate pandemic, social distancing, rampant fear and lawlessness, economic collapse, racism, bullying? Uh, how do we navigate these things? I'm going to tell you, child of God, you need your faith strengthened. You need to have faith. And remember, somebody says, well, yeah, faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ, the conqueror, the redeemer, the ruler, the super ruler, the overruler of all wickedness. You need faith strengthened in that man. Remember, the great hall of faith has a singular focus of Jesus Christ. So your faith as we enter into this hall is in Christ. And remember, we saw the first hero who's hanging there. It's not the picture of someone that you don't know. It is a mirror. The first thing you see in the great hall of faith is a mirror and if you believe in creation, then you are already in that great hall of faith. That's really encouraging to me. Now, if you don't believe in creation, you don't have a reflection in that mirror. 
I believe I'm talking to everyone here today, at least in, that's present here and in the vehicles out there. I believe everyone believes in the Creator God because we've taught it for years upon end. And you've taught it to your children. But understand that if you don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth, then you can't see your reflection in the great hall of faith. Now, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but remember the, the ultimate, the verb there that's used that faith helps and assists. It says, by faith we understand. So you understand that the, the faith helps you comprehend some things. It helps you comprehend that the Lord created the heavens and the earth. So when you consider a secular biologist or a secular paleontologist or chemist or, or even an engineer or a botanist, when you think about a secular scientist like that and they look at the evidence that's out there, in the, whether it's the fossil record, whether it's in, uh, uh, you name it, whether it's in... Um, fossils themselves or whether it's in whether or not there was a cataclysmic flood when, when they look at that they don't think about that in faith that there's a creator god when you look at that the evidence is more towards points more towards a creator god and a global flood it's just that simple now when you want to bring that home though if you say well yeah creation versus evolution that's a real national or worldwide debate you know well, i want it to be more internal than that by faith we understand we comprehend things that the world cannot comprehend by faith you can comprehend why things are so bad today because you are taught and understand that not long after that creation that adam fell in the garden sin came into the world death entered by sin and all of the devastation and destruction and trouble that we see out in the world today has started with all of that and it goes back to a belief through faith and creation so don't just say, oh, okay, that's an evolution versus creation debate. Now listen, as we look at the first picture that's hanging there that has a, not, that's not a mirror, as we consider the first person that's, that it, that's introduced here, I want you to keep this in mind. In all of these circumstances in the hall of faith, there is a terrible opposition. There's an awful opponent to the situation that comes up that we read about in faith. So don't think it's strange that there are opponents of Christ out there today. The Apostle Paul gives us the beautiful picture of these men and women of faith. Starts with you believing in creation, seeing yourself in that mirror. He gives us these incredible pictures of these great men and women of faith whose object of their faith was Jesus Christ. And yet there's always opposition. Always. What was the opposition to us as we look in the mirror? It was evolution. You know, tooth and claw existence, survival of the fittest, where man is nothing more than a, that descended from a monkey or a fish. And, you know, it's, it's dog eat dog. That is the antithesis of the mercy of God. You understand? So there's always an opponent. In the first image there of us looking in the mirror, if we believe and seeing ourselves, if we believe in, fa uh, in creation, it's the opposite of that is the devil's lie, the theory of tooth and claw, survival by tooth and claw. So we come to, to Abel now, who is the first recorded worshiper. And he had some opposition, did he not? Let's read. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. There's your opposition. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it... He being dead, yet speaketh. Now, what I want us to get from this is it says, By faith Abel offered. The first example of the mirror that I gave you is by faith we understand. 
You see, faith helps you comprehend. It helps you understand. And faith helps you offer, which is worship. Faith helps you worship in a way that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, if you understand anything about the character of God and His holiness, it should be amazing that there is any form in which we could please God. See? To think about our sin, to think about our wretchedness, to think about our, our, just our putrefied existence in terms of naturalness and how we think and how we're busted in our thinking and in our emotions and in our thought process, all of the things that just afflict. How in the world could a holy God ever be pleased with anything we do? I hope you think that way because that is a statement of faith. But don't stop there because we understand by faith that we can be pleasing to God. How? By the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. So I want you to see that faith helps us offer worship before the Lord in a pleasing way. Interesting that this example, the first one goes to creation. That if we believe that, um, that the worlds were framed by the word of God, then we're in that hall of faith. This next one goes to uh, the very beginning itself. Just, a, just weeks or days or months or years after Actually, it would be years after the Lord created the heavens and the earth, after the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And we have the, I'm not saying this was the first time worship occurred, but it is the first recorded worship in the sense of um, Abel bringing what he brought to the Lord. So let's consider that. You want to go all the way back over to the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter? It says that Adam knew his wife, she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, and she again bare his brother Abel. Now, if you follow that language carefully and look at other times whenever uh, it occurs that someone, it says someone conceived and had a child, it's, it's possible that Cain and Abel were twins. Now, I didn't really think about that until recently, but it's very possible that Cain and Abel were twins and Cain was born first. I won't hold it against anybody if they don't think that, but if you follow the language, it says that she conceived and bare Cain, and then she again bare his brother. It doesn't say she conceived again. But it says she bare his brother after Cain, and that was Abel. So if they were twins, if they were not, it's not a big deal. But Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, notice that time has passed. It came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect. Now watch the language. Not just respect unto Abel's offering, but it says that he had respect unto Abel and to his offering. That's key. But unto Cain, individually, personally, and to Cain's offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, you may ask the question, well, what was the difference between what Cain offered and what Abel offered? Well, there's a lot of difference if you'll think about it. First of all, it says that Abel himself was someone that was accepted before the Lord. You see, it doesn't just say his offering. So that totally kicks out the idea, oh, if your good works will just outweigh your bad works. <laughs> no, God accepted Abel. Now, how did he accept Abel? And it says he did not accept Cain. You good old Baptists know the answer to that question. Abel was a chosen child of God. He was chosen in the covenant of redemption before the foundation of the world. Matter of fact, if, if these are the first four people that listed on the earth, you know, I mean, I believe Adam was a child of God. Some people may not believe that. I believe Adam was a child. Of, I believe Eve was a child of God. Maybe Abel's name was the third one written down. Maybe it was the first. I think it was probably the third one. The third name, possibly, in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's amazing, isn't it? Abel. 
And we're still talking about him today. Abel was a chosen child of God. Abel, when Christ comes and sacrifices for sin, his blood is going to cover the sin of Abel. You see, God could look upon him as accepted and his child at that point because God knew that his son, Jesus Christ, would get the job done. So God looks upon Abel and he sees Abel as a sheep, a blood-bought child of God. Now, of course, we could go into all the ins and outs of, well, some would say, well, that's just not fair. that he ch-. People say that all the time. Hey, it would be fair if God chose no one. <laughs> you see? Because it wasn't fair for his son who was perfect to pay for the sins of someone who was imperfect. Not only someone, but a multitude of people out of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. So we're not going to talk about the fairness issue because it doesn't hold water. God is sovereign and he can choose who he wants to and choose and, and pass over who he passes over. And he hasn't harmed the ones he's passed over at all. See? Remember, we don't believe in double predestination. That's not even found in the Scripture. God predestinates some to heaven, some to hell. We don't teach that. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. Adam did a fine job of causing all of mankind to be destined for hell. (laughs) That was in his sin. See, that answers that question. God, in a positive way, which if you think about it, that's what election is. An election is putting someone in office. You don't put somebody out of office by electing them. God elected and chose Abel and a host of people that cannot be numbered. So God looks upon Abel and he sees his sheep. And so therefore, because he is a sheep, therefore what he brings to the Lord is pleasing to the Lord. Now, there's another little caveat there. We want to make sure that we're bringing to the Lord what pleases the Lord. Because sometimes we could come before the Lord and say, well, Lord, I'm bringing this to you. I'm offering this to you. You know, if Abel had come there and brought a lion, a sac- I chased this lion down. We probably didn't have to chase him back then, but I chased this lion down, I sacrificed him, and I'm putting him here. The Lord would have said, I'm not pleased with that. See, because it was the lamb that was to be brought before the Lord. You see? Now, I've told you before in recent weeks about, I believe that the Lord himself sacrificed the first lamb to clothe Adam and Eve because they had so miserably clothed themselves with uh, fig leaves. <laughs> But whether the Lord did that or not, we know for a fact that this first recorded worshiper right here, this first recorded worshiper was bringing a lamb. Not only just a lamb, but the firstlings, the the firstlings of the flock. Now, I'm going to say some more about that in just a moment. But understand, this is the difference between what Abel is bringing and what Cain is bringing. When you kill a lamb, a, a little... A young lamb, a firstling of the flock, and his blood flows down, something dies, right? And you put it on the altar there, and the blood flows down, and the Lord sees that. It speaks of atonement, doesn't it? It speaks of a need for reconciliation. It speaks of a need for a Savior. It speaks also of the sin in the Garden of Eden. But what does Cain bring? Cain just brings what could be considered a thank offering, not an atonement offering. See, he just brings of what he grew. There's no bloodshed. You see that? Cain doesn't have the capacity, number one, to please God because he doesn't have faith. He's not a child of God. We know that for a fact. The scripture tells us that. He's not blood-bought. And he brings a thank offering, which, by the way, was not the offering that God asked to be brought. See? So Cain's got a double whammy. (laughs) He doesn't have faith within him. And he's also 
demonstrating that he doesn't have faith by saying, I don't really need atonement. See, that's the way the wicked think. I don't need atonement. All Cain had to do, listen, all Cain had to do was say to his brother, hey, look, here's some of my, of what I have raised. Here's some of my wheat, my corn, my peas, my okra, my squash, you know, I'll give you this in exchange for a lamb so I can provide the sacrifice that's required. That still would not have made Cain a child of God. Y'all understand that? But he's got a double whammy. He's wicked. He doesn't have Christ in him. He has the, Christ is not the object of any faith that he has within him. He has faith in himself. He doesn't need atonement. And also, he says, I don't need atonement. So he just brings his own little sacrifice. See? He's wicked. And it says that God did not have respect to Cain nor to his sacrifice. Now, the reason I'm laying that groundwork for you so you can see that clearly is because it precedes what is about to happen, where we find the first recorded worshiper going forward in godly, spiritual, atonement-seeking worship. He is murdered. That's not very encouraging, is it? <laughs> you know, we want to be encouraged and, and strengthened in our faith. The first... If you look at it and leave it at, if you just leave it at, he was murdered, yeah, it's not very encouraging. But we're not going to leave it there because the Lord doesn't leave it there. But it is interesting to note that the first recorded worshiper is murdered, killed, not just by anybody, but by his own flesh and blood. And that's sad. It's tragic. But let me tell you something. God has the last say. God has the last say when it comes to tragedy. Don't you ever forget that. And your faith should speak that. Now, let's consider the legacy of Abel as opposed to the legacy of Cain. As we think about how our faith within us should lead us to offer acceptable sacrifices before the Lord. If you're a blood-bought child of God, you can offer things to God and do things before the Lord that please Him in the same way that Abel pleased the Lord in the dawn of time. So let's consider the legacy of Cain and the legacy of Abel. If I came to you and I said, hey, did you hear about, uh, did you hear about that guy? He was so successful. He went out, he built a city. He named the city after one of his kids. He established a think tank, sort of like a Silicon Valley think tank. And he was such an innovator and the, and the minds that he brought together and all that they came together and, and thought up and decided to do, it revolutionized the world. If I just told you that right there, you'd be like, wow, I'd like to meet this guy. I might want to work for him. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That's the legacy of Cain. And the legacy of Cain was buried in the judgment of God in the global flood in the days of Noah. <laughs> Are y'all with me? Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be innovative and we can't come up with good things and helpful things and whatever. I'm not saying you can't do that. But the intent of Cain's legacy, the intent of Cain's Silicon Valley type think tank was totally based on man and what man can do and how long man can live and the name that man can make for himself. You see, that's the difference. The legacy of Abel in the short life that he lived points to something greater, does it not? It points to the fact that there is something beyond what man can do, beyond this life, beyond the, the innovativeness of man, you see? It points to the Lamb. Everything he did points to the Lamb. You see, Cain brought a thank offering. Ah, oh, thank you for this food. It'll keep me alive. But Abel brought something that spoke about more than just keeping him alive. It spoke of redemption. It spoke of reconciliation. 
You see, is it tragic? Yes, it's tragic, but it's also glorious because don't ever forget this. (laughs) When it comes to the wicked and the things that the wicked do, don't ever forget this. God is keeping score. (laughs) There was an old preacher that preached uh, years ago, not a primitive Baptist, and I enjoyed the message. It was called Payday Someday. (laughs) That's a good title, isn't it? But Payday Someday. You see, payday is coming for the wicked. Sometimes payday comes in this lifetime. The legacy of Cain, for many of those that descended from Cain, their payday came in their time here on this earth when the flood came, you see? But regardless of whether or not the jury convicts, or regardless of whether or not it's called to the carpet in this lifetime, I can assure you there's a holy God in heaven that has a score that He is keeping. And aren't you glad that the score that He's keeping it when it comes to you and me is His blood-bought sheep is, is found wholly in the blood of Christ. We've got one victory, and that's all we need. And it's through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, payday someday. Revelation 6 and 10, it says, there are those gathered around the altar of God in heaven at this very moment now, saying, how long, O Lord, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood? Cain's legacy led to judgment But Abel's legacy continues to be heralded and proclaimed in heaven today. That's amazing. What kind of legacy would we rather have? (laughs) Abel's legacy is found in the hall of faith here, the great hall. The object of his faith was Jesus Christ. Uh, Abel's legacy was a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Abel's legacy, according to the Hebrews 11, it says that he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. Now, some have said, well, maybe the Lord sent fire and, and, and consumed the, the sheep or the lamb that he sacrificed. I don't know. It doesn't say that. But even if that happened, fine. God did that from time to time. But even more than that, we find the Son of God even testifying of Abel's gifts. There's at least three times in the New Testament where the Lord himself speaks of Abel. He speaks of Abel because Abel was the first martyr. The first man he was recorded worshiping. He speaks of him and says, the blood of righteous Abel, all the way back to the beginning there. He said, it it will be accounted for. You see, God will not let that go. He was the first martyr. He was the first person to die. He was the first person to be murdered. Y'all listen. He was the first person to enter heaven. That's amazing, isn't it? The first spirit of the first man that entered into heaven. Don't you know it was sort of vacant up there at that time, wasn't it? Nobody else there but Abel. Come on in, son. Can you imagine that? So it's tragic, yes, but it's also glorious. He was the first one there. Maybe you can look him up one day and say, what was it like to get here before all these multitude millions were here? Abel can tell you. But I'm pretty sure Abel would probably say, just look to the lamb. That's all that matters here. That's all that matters. See, I want you to think about this and think about Abel. When do you feel the most accepted by God? If you need a little help in trying to figure that out, think about the publican and the Pharisee. Two men went up in Luke 18 of the temple to pray. The Pharisee, in his mind and in his emotions, he was accepted of God because he was doing all these works. He was following the checklist I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I hadn't done that, I hadn't done that, I hadn't done that. And I'm certainly not like that guy back there in the back, the, the publican. And the publican was back there with a trembling lip and eyes full of tears who could not so much as look up to heaven 
but smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus Christ, of his own, out of his own blessed mouth, said, that man went down to his house justified. Isn't that great? So you think about when you feel the most accepted of God. I tell you, it's whenever you feel like that publican. That you're nothing and God is everything. Doesn't mean don't do good works. It doesn't mean don't do some of the good things that the Pharisee was doing. But he didn't have the right spirit about it, you see. He was depending on those things for his righteousness. We do the things we do. And Abel did the things he did. Not so he could be righteous. But as an outflowing, an outpouring of the righteousness that God had already given him. That's so important to understand. So picture with me, if you would, for just a moment. The shepherd, Abel. He goes out and he looks out over his flock. Those beautiful, you've seen sheep, aren't they beautiful? And lambs are even cuter and prettier than sheep, than the grown sheep. So Abel goes out to that flock and he's thinking in his mind, it's time. I feel a burden, it's time. Maybe it was the first day of the week, maybe it was the Sabbath day, probably the Sabbath day at that time. There's the most beautiful sheep that I have. He's about a year old. He ain't got a blemish on him. I love that little animal. Y'all remember how Nathan described the love that that man had for the one little ewe lamb? Did you notice it said that he even let that little ewe lamb eat at his table? That that probably wouldn't go over at my house. But... (laughs) But this little lamb, you know, is, I can just picture that man holding that little lamb and taking a cup, you know, and just uh, feeding that little lamb. He loves it. Abel loves this little sheep, this little lamb. And that little lamb probably comes running up to him, skipping and jumping and enjoying life as a lamb in a flock. He's healthy. Nothing wrong with him. Abel thinks in his mind, it's time. It's time to offer an atonement. So he takes that little lamb up in his arms. The lamb doesn't have a clue. And he goes out there somewhere near where the sheep are. Maybe the sheep follow him. And he begins to build up his altar. Brick, uh, not brick, but rock by stone by rock by stone. He gets it all built up. You think he's, you think he's crying yet? You think the tears have welled up within his eyes? As he takes that lamb and he binds its feet. A little lamb doesn't have a clue. Binds its front feet, binds its back feet. That's his favorite lamb. It's his best one he's got. And he lays that lamb up there on the altar. And he pulls out his knife or whatever it was that they used at that time. And that little lamb's there with it. He's got his hand on it. Do you think he's crying by now? Do you think he's feeling it? I don't want to kill this thing. It's the prettiest one I've got. You see the struggle he's going through. And yet, he thinks back. What does he think to? Am I assuming too much here? I don't think so. I remember what mom and dad told me. I remember what went down in the garden. I remember how they didn't obey. I remember how they said they walked with God. They spoke with God. They interacted with God. They laughed with God. They visited with God. Until the day that they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were separated from God. Oh, I long to have that kind of connection with God. I ask you today, child of God, don't you long for that without separation from God? And as Abel put his hand upon that sweet little lamb there that was the favorite of the flock and the favored of the flock, 
The very favored one as he takes the knife up in tears and he, he plunges it into the heart of that lamb and the blood begins to flow and get on Abel and begins to flow down. See, this is a bloody thing that was taking place here. And the little lamb cries out and he's dead. Y'all see what's going on here? This isn't some kind of uh, blood cult. No. Abel believed that the Lord deserved the best that he had. Do you believe that? If there was something that you had right now like the rich young ruler. Something like the rich young ruler had that was in his life that he would not lay down for the glory of God. You hear what I'm saying? It doesn't mean there won't be tears. It doesn't mean there won't be struggle. Oh, I can see the emotional issues that were going on in the heart of Abel as he stood above that beautiful little lamb and he killed it and this blood flowed and in whatever way, whether it was by fire or whether it was by an appearance or a, a, a smiling presence of God in his own heart that he felt the approbation and the approval of God through his tears and through his struggle and through his emotions. You see, God accepted what he did because he felt in his heart as the publican did, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I need atonement. I need redemption. I need fellowship with God. All these things were going on in the mind of Abel. Whereas Cain, nothing like that's going on in him. He's just saying, what a waste. My brother's so dumb. I know that's what God said to do. Why, why didn't he get one of those little, those little lambs that wasn't the best? I, mean, I watched him go over there and he picked out the very best one. How dumb is my brother? You think some seeds of jealousy were started there? Absolutely. And later God says, why is your countenance fallen, Cain? It's in Genesis 4 and 6. Why are you angry? He says, if you do well... You'll, you're not, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall he be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. I believe that's a reference right there that the Lord was saying, Abel's not going to take your place as the firstborn. Abel's not looking to, to get ahead in that way. Abel's just seeking reconciliation with me as his Savior. You see? Sometime after that, Cain goes and he begins to talk with his brother. I wonder what they said. You think he might have said some of what I just said? Why would you give that lamb? You think you're so special? What you do, you think, you, you think you're favored by God? Something like that went down. They weren't talking about something peaceful, I guarantee you. And I could just imagine Abel was there saying, Oh no, brother, I'm not, I'm not going to take your place. I'm not here for that. I just want to experience what mom and dad said they experienced in the garden before they ate of the fruit. <laughs> Am I reading too much into it? Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field. In the same and sad and emotional way, can you imagine what Cain, he picked up a knife or he picked up a stick? He rose up against Abel, his brother, and he hit him with that stick or with that knife. And he killed him. Killed his own flesh and blood. Let me tell you something, child of God. That's Cain's answer to the worship of the Lord. That's Cain's answer. That's the world's answer to the lamb. Just kill them. Wipe them out. I'm jealous because they have a status that I don't have. And the funny thing about that is their very status is not because of anything that they did. It's because of the sovereignty of God. The mercy of God. You see Abel there, penitent, contrite. Sad over having to kill that lamb, but so glad that God was taking the, the lamb that was sacrificed. And there's Cain. He's just mad. You see, 1 John 3 and 12, it speaks of Cain again. Oh boy, we don't want this legacy. The, the Lord, uh, excuse me, the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, 
In verse 11, it says, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. How about that? Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't marvel that the world hates your desire to come before the Lord and in faith believe that the object of your salvation and the focus of everything that you have is in Christ Jesus. The world hates that. The canes of this world hate that. The wicked of this world who are jealous of any position that you might hold that's above them, which they don't even see that as being above. <laughs> see? They just think it's ridiculous, but they can't touch it. They can't have it. And like Cain, they just want to kill and destroy so, for us, child of God, is our faith helping us offer a more excellent sacrifice? How are we processing what's going on in the world around us? Are you angry? You, you could get angry. Are you in despair? Are you fearful? Oh, I pray that you're processing it through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of faith, through the lens of the Spirit, and desiring to come before the Lord and offer. The word offer right there occurs in Matthew 2 and 11. I'm sure you Bible readers are familiar. That's where the three, the, I started to say three wise men, but however many there were, there were three gifts. When the wise men come before the king, who's just a little toddler, uh, he's about the size of Brother Ben back there. He's just a little toddler. The King of kings and Lord of lords and those wise men, it says they came in and they presented their gifts to Him. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Oh, I tell you, that was an acceptable sacrifice that those men offered after traveling for months and months and maybe a year to get there. What are our righteous witnesses? Abel's righteous witness was the lamb that he offered. Abel's righteous witness was even the murder that occurred. Don't you know it was tragic? Don't you know it was also glorious to die and give his life for the testimony of the Lamb? If y'all can see Abel there like that publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The Lamb's bleeding. He's desiring fellowship. The Lord is pleased with the sacrifice and He wants to walk with God again. Oh, I tell you, then his brother kills him. <laughs> What a tragedy. But then on the other hand, what a glory it was because after his brother killed him, he's walking with the Son of God in glory. He's with the object of his faith. You see, man doesn't get the last say. Cain doesn't get the last say. But the Lord does. Because we have a better and a more enduring substance in heaven. This last week I received a phone call from a dear sister that you all know, Sister Dina Whitehead. She's a member down there at McClendon Church. You know, she's the one that's been here before and I've joked and told you, you know, she raises her hand whenever, whenever uh, she gets in the Spirit. And she was here one day several years ago, and I was preaching, feeling the Spirit of the Lord. And I looked back, and I saw a hand up, and I started to stop and say, do you have a question? <laughs> but she was just having a good time. <laughs> the Sister Dina called me last week. She'd been listening to the podcast. And she said, I just had to call and tell you this story. And she said a few years ago, and, and it had to do with this. The story had to do with this. In one of the messages a couple weeks ago, I said something about the fact that we have a better and more enduring substance in heaven. Better than gold. You know, gold is just what they use to pave the streets with in heaven. And she said, I just had to call and tell you this. She said that several years ago, she works at a bank and they do closings. 
And if you know anything, I've been doing closings for years. You know, there, there, there's not a whole lot of excitement about closings other than you're happy to see somebody that might be a first-time uh, homeowner like we saw a couple weeks ago. I saw that personally. Uh, and, then, and then there's excitement over somebody getting a piece of property. That, that's exciting. But there's not a whole lot of excitement about closings. So she said that this woman, and I'll, I'll describe her as a professional dancer, okay, to not be too crude with the description of what she was. So this woman, about 100 pounds, this is 10 or 15 years ago, a woman who weighed about 100 pounds came in and had a bonnet on her head because she didn't have any hair. And she told Sister Dana what her occupation was. It was at a local place there in Jacksonville. And she said, I need to buy a house for my son. She said, you're not going to discriminate against me, are you, because of what I do? Sister Dana said, no. I mean, if your credit's good and whatever. And she had also brought a man with her who was going to co-sign the loan with her because she didn't have the kind of credit to get that house. And the man was, uh, I guess you would say, like a fan of hers from the place that she worked. And um, so Sister Dina said, we'll run your credit, we'll run the man's credit and so forth. And come to find out, the woman had had a child. He was about 10 years old. About 10 years before, she'd had a child with the owner of the establishment and had to file a paternity suit and established that this child was, in fact, uh, the child of the owner. Very ugly, terrible situation to have to go through. And the woman now had terminal cancer. The mother had terminal cancer. She's in her mid-30s. The child was about 10. And she said, I need a home for my son. And so they went through the process, and the day of the closing came, Sister Dina said that when the woman walked in, she said she didn't know how she was walking. She just was stumbling around, could, could hardly put two sentences together because of her condition. She looked worse than she did the month or so before when she first saw her. She said, are you okay? And she said, I need, a, I need a house for my son. My son needs a place to live. And the man who was the co-signer was there. So they went through the closing process, and she said... Well, now your son's got a, a place to live. And on the same day of that closing, that mother went home that night, and she hemorrhaged, and she died. And her 10-year-old son, they found him holding her in the bathroom the next morning, and she had bled out. On the day of that closing, and Sister Dina says she went to the funeral. And I don't think the preacher was an old Baptist, but he certainly had some old Baptist tendencies on this particular day. <laughs> she said the preacher got up there and he basically said that the things that that woman desired, the things that that dear mother desired, the gold that she, she searched for, and the gold that we all try to obtain in this life, that she was now walking on it in glory. <laughs> no more troubles. No more worry about her son having a house that the gold that she sought was now under her feet just to walk upon. And I say amen to that. The man who co-signed for her, according to Sister Dina, died a few months later of kidney failure. The boy, the 10-year-old boy, by the way, he was autistic. I meant, I meant to tell you that. He was an autistic little boy. The boy was given to her brother and his wife, and they moved into that house and raised that boy there. You think about the turmoil that that sin-stricken mother and the lifestyle that she had lived 
Think about the turmoil that she was in. She said, I just want a house for my son. My little 10-year-old autistic boy. I tell you, child of God, there's a better and an endearing substance. And it is Christ Jesus. And that dear mother who had that desire to take care of her poor little child, I tell you, she's walking with Abel today. I tell you, she's rejoicing in glory now. And it doesn't matter what germ comes along to afflict or affect us or take our life from us. You hear me? It doesn't matter what lawlessness affects a nation that causes us despair within to see that the rule of law, which is no longer being followed, it doesn't matter what economic collapse you or I may experience where we don't have two nickels left to rub together. We have a better and a more enduring substance. It's in Christ Jesus. The first recorded worshiper, Abel, was murdered. But overshadowing that tragedy is a legacy that is still spoken of today. Ultimately, that legacy is Christ. Now, listen. What are you doing here today? You're doing the same thing that Abel did. You're here to worship the Lamb. You see? You're here to worship the Lord. You're doing the same thing that Abel did in the dawn of time. It's just in a different, somewhat different format. Because we don't have to go to the flock and say, where's the best one of the flock? Because the best one of the flock has already been offered. We don't have to go and pick out something in anguish and in pain and say, I've got to give that lamb up. I've got to give that up so that I can atone and reconcile for my sins. We don't have to do that. Because the perfect lamb of God, the son of God came and he did that for us. And we come together. We don't have to lay our hands on a bloody lamb and say, oh, I love that little lamb. He was so beautiful and so healthy and he was so wonderful. No, we can come and stand before the Lord and raise our hands up to the lamb. And we can say, Lord, thank you, Lord, because your your lamb was perfect. Your son was the perfect sacrifice for sin. We can come and we have atonement. We don't have to look for atonement, child of God. We have atonement in Christ Jesus. Isn't that glorious? We're here to offer before the Lord, an acceptable sacrifice. Romans 12 and 1 says to present our bodies a living sacrifice. That's a misnomer. That's ironic because usually a sacrifice is dead. And yet you're here to offer your body, your presence, your mind, your emotions, your direction. Come before the Lord and say, here it is, Lord. Direct me, guide me. If it's a lamb in the flock like Abel had to sacrifice, I'll give it up. If it's the riches like the rich young ruler had and he wouldn't give it up, you say, Lord, I'll give it up because you're worthy. If it's a relationship, if it's a friend, if it's uh, it's some sin or some secret sin, let me tell you, oh, the lamb is worthy. (laughs) He's worthy of you giving up and laying it down. And that yields a more acceptable sacrifice like Abel. Child of grace, one of the things that God, in His sovereign mercy and mysterious will, presents to us in His Word that is acceptable to Him. It's when a sinner comes forward, like the publican, and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. (laughs) In the mysteries of the depths of God's mercy and judgment, He is pleased by that. 
when you come forward relying solely upon the blood of Christ for atonement and reconciliation, that's a glorious thing. (laughs) We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.